You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. Hey, dear listeners, guess what? (laughs) We're not going to make you sit through any more Vagrant Queen. I thought you were going to go go into an ad read. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really just <laughs> so i watched episode five for nothing why would you watch it we talked we, we talked about last week we were done no 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 we all were under the thing that to never say never die whatever we start this bitch they literally all watch it. We're, the, we're, we're the watchers you, even if you people wanna... <laughs> literally got on my case every day about this show until we st- i said last week we were going to stop and we were going to watch Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky's Dune instead, and now you're saying that you watched it. I'm trying to remember when we actually talked about it. We did. That's why we talked about moving on to an entire new show starting next week. That's why we needed to watch Dune this week. This week, we could have just talked about Baker and Queen. We didn't have to watch Jodorowsky's Dune. (laughs) That didn't need to be a part of my life. No, I just I just watched it because I feel like I have to watch it. And just, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to finish it. it regardless whether we talk yeah. about it or not. Now I'm not doing that. Don't let me listen. <laughs> <laughs> and this show was your idea. <laughs> it, no, I I said I liked a trailer. Yeah, basically. I also liked the trailer for like a couple of those last you Matrix should. movies. I mean, I liked the trailer for Green either. Green Lantern. What? Yeah, it's it's okay. Well, well, you know what? When the season's over, the the people that have watched it, we can all like do an overtime for it. Wait, does that mean we have to yeah. watch it? You don't. I said the people who watch it, <laughs> you don't have to watch it. So there you go. Yes, dear listener, once again, <laughs> unless you really want to listen to the in cap show of Vagrant Queen, we're not talking about it on the Geeks Watch anymore. Uh, Thank God. <laughs> next week we will start a new show, uh, The Great from Hulu about. Catherine the Great? Yes. Okay. Yep. Catherine the Great, starring Elle Fanning? Yes. Anybody know? Okay. Um, and Nicholas Holt. because he did The Favorite, and he was like, you know what? I just like this clothes. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But this week, we wanted to get something in there, so John made a decision for us, or actually, he put it up there for us, and we decided Yes. We're doing a documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune. I I, I think I say it different every time, and I'm pretty sure it's always wrong, but that's that's what we're doing. Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky. I keep trying to put a B in there. Jodorowsky's. Well, it's. I mean, there is a B in there. It's just not pronounced. Really? 
pretty sure there's, there's a B. I thought there I was. I don't think so. I don't know. Watching there's a W. No, it's a, <laughs> it's a D. Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. I keep trying to say Jodorowsky. <laughs> I don't like that. Or Jodorowsky. Invites it to say he has a name that is unusual for your everyday uh, U.S. person. This yes. is true. And or Mexican, since that's where he's from. He's I, from Mexico. I thought he was yeah. from. I thought he was from Spain, but he went to Mexico to run the avant-garde theater. I thought he was. I, I feel like I read he was from Chile. He was born in Chile and moved to Mexico. Man, I was really off. I, I thought he was talking Italian the whole time. I think, I think he actually is Chilean. I think that is the actual... No, he was talking. He was speaking in French because he moved to Paris. No, the other dude was was speaking in French. Yeah, he, he spoke. He spoke Spanish. He was speaking Spanish. He was speaking Spanish. Yeah, yeah. like Castilian Spanish, though. If I mm. heard it correctly. Oh, oh! I didn't know you were such a linguist, Stephen. No, it's just that's the one they teach you in school. And since I'm from Yuma, I was like, yeah, I don't want to learn that shit. I want Mexico Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into our week's watch so that we can talk about the documentary. Uh, Elizabeth, what did you watch this week? Um, so I watched, courtesy of Mitch and a whole group, uh, Demolition Man. That's right. For the first time. I <laughs> um, uh, obviously had no idea about anything about this movie going into it. You'll notice a theme of the movies Mitch is opting to show me. Even if they aren't filmed in the 80s, they very much feel like 80s action her, B-movies. Her criteria, <laughs> criteria that she gave me was something like uh, Big Trouble, Little China. Like that's. Literally I, gave, I gave that criteria to you a month ago, and, <laughs> and every single one of the movies since has been that. <laughs> that's because it's what you like. It's not my fault. One does not survive on a diet of Rice Krispie treats alone. Thank you. Says you. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I just make him, I just keep making him watch. You live a short but happy life that way, though. <laughs> um, but well, I mean, so, until I take your foot. The part that the part that kills me is that it was apparently filmed in '93 and it's set in this dystopian LA to begin with in '96. Like I don't know what they thought was going to no, happen. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, oh, the, the beginning very, part is the, is '96. Yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah. So like, I don't have very many memories from the early '90s. Excuse but me. They were not. But all the conservatives outside of California think that's exactly what's going to happen in LA. Oh, two weeks from now, all the time, <laughs> every two weeks, they think that's that, that's exactly how that, LA is. That's a whole chunk of years, though. It's three years. Well, it's three years from ninety three to ninety six. Now, now, oh, are, are you, you mean they think that's going to happen? No, any minute now. Yes, yes. that's what I'm trying to say. That. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, remember though that the, the LA riots were still pretty fresh, so people probably just extrapolated. Well, that's just going to keep on happening until it reaches to this point. Also true. I mean, fair, but like, LA had like burned to the ground multiple times. It sounded like <laughs> at that point, so like they were expecting entire the entire city to collapse like four or five times in three years. <laughs> like not just riots, but like the entire city. So, I mean, plus. They thought they were going to have a huge leap in technology by that point. Um, this is also true. But so, well, cryogenics. I think we just did Ted Williams' head at that point, didn't we? Yeah. In Scottsdale, so they were they were thinking cryogenics was going to go 
super Too fast. fast. <laughs> well, We're going to go from doing somebody's it. head and not actually come making it come back yeah. to using that as a method of imprisonment for huge populations of the prison. Which I still never understand. Like, why, why would you... I understand that they did this whole, like... Uh, Q-wave uh, hypnotic suggestion like therapy to the prisoners while they were under the ice but like you're giving these prisoners like a sentence of hey we, you get to pause time and then come back into the future like that's literally I, all. it's cheaper you have to uh, yeah. you that's know, the one you, think, the you one. think that technology is cheap <laughs> well, once, once, I think once you, once you get them down to being cold maintaining it from there might be easy I don't think so. That's a lot of Plus, that's a lot of ice. I think the whole premise was they were never actually going to let them wake up. It was a death sentence, not a true. death sentence. Was, that is true because, like, once you take someone away and put them away, and if they have no family around since they've gone forward in time, they're not going to have an advocate. They could just keep them there. Yeah, they basically have no right. Because I mean, you, you, you'd still get a public advocate. I mean, they're, no, they, they didn't get a public advocate in those parole hearings. It was just the warden. Okay, but see, there was parole hearings, though. There were people there. There were other other prisoners there. Yeah, but I mean, it's like the illusion of freedom. And- yeah, it's it's not an actual. But anyway, it must have been a for-profit cryogenic facility because otherwise, exactly. yeah, it seems like it wouldn't be. A- well, it definitely was for profit. I mean, Cocteau is the one that owned the place. Okay, so the, the whole premise of the movie for those like me who had never seen or heard of there it, there are no such people. I'm sure there are. <laughs> They're not born yet. That's who they are. <laughs> They're not born yet. So for posterity, going forward. Um. Oh my God, who's the actor? Our main character, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone is a 1980s cop in 1996, um, <laughs> and he comes into 2050. 2050. So he, because he gets his big bad guy in the first five minutes, and then they both get sentenced two life sentences because Sylvester Stallone character killed an entire plane of civilians capturing bus of civilians, bus of civilians capturing his big bad guy. So they both end up in prison and then they both get woken up in 2050, Mm -hmm. somewhere 2032. I thought it 2032. I think so. I thought that was when the big quake was, but no, that was 2010. Okay. We were all supposed to have had a huge earthquake in 2010. Anyway, it's this really dystopian, utopian world where everything that is bad for you is outlawed, including alcohol and sex. Cursing. Um, but not limited to. <laughs> yeah, but not limited to. Cursing, yes, cursing's a big one. So And toilet paper. And then yeah. <laughs> the guy who is in charge has made himself a prophet. This is the theme. Has made himself a prophet, decides to wake up the big bad guy to quash the little bit of rebellion that's left. And so then they have to wake up Sylvester Stallone character to get rid of the bad guy. And then you overthrow the whole system mm-hmm. in the process. Yep. The cast is great. The acting was wonderful. It features a very young Sandra Bullock. A very, very yes. young, yes. This but was she her, does excellent. This was her, uh-huh. like, first starring role, I think, other than Love Potion number 9. And then Speed is what made her break out after this. But I thought it was very good. It was a lot of fun. Um, the The premise is very disconcerting at this point. <laughs> and all the the similarities to current yeah, day. Like it's just 
It's one of those things that, like, as it ages, like, it's supposed to be this far-off, you know, utopian, dystopian, that, you know, doesn't feel quite so far away anymore. (laughs) And it's kind of concerning. Like, everyone who thought everything would become, like, Road Warrior kind of stuff, you guys were all wrong. (laughs) It's Demolition Man. All all the, like, the post-apocalyptic-y kind of ideas of anything or dystopian ideas, they're the ones that are just out in the open and everyone's just looking at a smartphone instead. I know I sound like a crazy person, but I've been reading these things since I was a kid and way too much of it has come to pass. (laughs) Right. Well, that's like, um, Idiocracy is the one for me that, like, every year... As we progress, I'm like, oh, that's getting a lot closer. <laughs> yeah. We literally got Biff Tannen as president. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is Back to the Future too. Yep. Uh, but one the question I've always had for Demolition Man coming out of it is that, is the rest of the country like what you see in San Angeles? Because there's the comment that Cocteau makes later that he's like, now I can make it go further out, like other than this city. So I just... I what were you saying? I, I think it's limited to that kind of area. Yeah. I think that there's a big idea of California being the first to do a lot of weird things mm. for their entire area. So I feel like it's just there. Same thing for Giver. I didn't think yeah. the Giver was like that when I was a kid, but it is. I don't know. I don't know. I never saw the Giver or read the Giver. Did nobody, did nobody else here read the Giver? I read the Giver. I, yeah, I read fine. the Giver. Okay. No, I was like, yeah. wait, what? No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> I I don't know what what Mitch is talking about because I thought everybody had to read The Giver in like nope. fifth I, or sixth grade. I you did, sure didn't. I did not have to read it. I think because I I have no idea why I didn't have to read it, but I did choose to read it later on. Did, Mitch, did when you were in high school, did you read Ender's Game though? Uh, no, I didn't have to read Ender's Game in high school. My I I was so, my required reading list was other stuff like uh, uh, Tale of Two Cities. Me, no. Oh yes, I did have to read read Bless Me Ultima. I had to read okay, the Jungle. Right. I had to read uh, Jungle. Okay. Utopia. Utopia, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the Egypt game. Nope. That one I didn't. Have didn't to. read the Egypt game. Night. Nope. Okay. Did you have to read <laughs> the Number of the Stars? Letter? Nope. Fahrenheit four fifty one. Oh yes. Yeah. I just I was wondering because the, the, the Russian when, one when I was Ivan. a little kid. Ender's Game was my uh, fourth grade book report, and I was so excited to get to high school and to get to read it again and just not have to read it. <laughs> and just get to be like, I love this book. Let's talk about it. And then it didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, so. So uh, what your overall thought, did you enjoy the movie or did you not enjoy the movie? I enjoyed the movie for exactly what it was. Okay. Um, it was enjoyable. I it's not going to be a favorite of mine, I don't think, like Big Trouble in Little China is. And I not for any particular reason, because it the, the cast was great, the acting was great. Um, just the storyline doesn't catch me as much. Um, but no, overall it was it was excellent. And now I can join, I guess, the rest of society in having seen it. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You can. Uh, so Demolition Man is currently on Hulu. If you wanna, if you wanna watch it streaming, Steven, what'd you watch this week? I watched some nonsense. No, so um, straight up as nonsense. As part of a uh, a while ago, um, I was I was downstairs in my house, right next to the big TV, and I was like, "What do I put on?" And so I, surprisingly, to everyone, including myself, 
I, I bladed over in Hulu and chose to put on Firefly. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so I, I put it on. And I thought for the first time, I'm going to give this an actual attempt, you know? Because mm-hmm. every time I've tried to watch it before, which has been several times, I've never gotten through that first scene where they're in the first battle on that planet that's supposed to be like the flashback scene. <laughs> uh, and I never, ever get past it. I'm just like, you know, this isn't for me. Boom, and turn it off. <laughs> and so now I am, I want to say, probably halfway through the series because I, don't get me wrong, I don't hate it. I don't love it. But Mitch is trading me. I am. On this one. I am trading. So I have an incentive to continue. <laughs> I, I, I still... You know, there's certain things where uh, if you go and if you go back and watch something like, I don't know, if if you go back and listen to the Beatles or something like that, um, Pink Floyd or listen to something else that was or like in some in some way taken media of some sort that was influential to a bunch of people. It no longer feels influential because you've seen all the other things that are the logical extension of those things. Like you're like, oh, this this is cool, but it's not like this is the first time I've ever heard someone do this kind of harmony or have this kind of storytelling mechanic where the the good or the the good guy is actually the bad guy the whole time. Oh, you know, <laughs> um, like there's just certain things where because of an exposure to a bunch of media, it's not new. Mm-hmm. That is this in spades. Yes, for me, um, I don't I don't know if I would have even been super hype on it at the time because one of the things that I end up comparing it to a lot in my mind is Cowboy Bebop mm-hmm. and watching it now I still feel that way mm-hmm. like there are a lot of similarities obviously there's differences um, I feel like it's half Cowboy Bebop half Star Trek Deep Space Nine boop uh, and a little bit of Farscape um, but yeah like I I still enjoy it but man, I still really, really, really don't like some of the ways that they chose to have people act in that one. <laughs> <laughs> like when, when Summer Glau freaks out, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. It, it feels not great. Um, but it's a good series. I, I still do like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm curious about what's going on with that preacher. Oh, yeah. There's know. a story, but yeah. I don't know if they got to ever tell it. They, they did in the comic books. So you, yeah. if you go and read the, the, comic, the, the comic books that come afterward for Dark Horse, I believe, uh, they have a whole series on Shepard Book and his backstory. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they do not get but, to it in the, ser- in the TV series. No. <laughs> or Dang, that's too bad. Because like there was a scene recently where they brought the like the whole herd of cattle that they had brought around, uh-huh. yeah. um, uh, and just the way he acted during the beginning part of that scene, he seemed like he was like ready for some business. Yep. So I, I was I was curious there, but that's 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 the main thing for me. Okay. Uh, uh, was, I, one thing I I like about I mean I like that series a lot, but like. You jump what? in it, yeah. If you jump into any but any of Joss Whedon's like shows series, you usually see the Lots same. Well, you see you see a lot of butts. I don't think he's a feet person like Quentin Tarantino is. No, he does see a lot of butts in this series. Yeah, you, later. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't. There. You no, know, you don't see like the bear butt. I mean, no. you do see bear butt, but yes. it's more like like start like initial shot start on butt. And then they walk away from camera, kind of thing. 
I have not seen this. Well, you can see it a lot in Avengers. Just go watch the first <laughs> Avengers movie. Yeah, but if you have Chris Evans's butt yes, to put on camera, you. you're going to do it. It's not just Chris That's Evans' butt. It's also Scarlett Johansson's butt. That's a solid well, point. Well, you have to be fair. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just saying you see a lot of the same archetypes of characters and stuff, and and always, there's always references to other his other shows, which I I like the, those little Easter eggs. So, uh, anybody else like to chime in on on Firefly, or we're I all mean, good? I love Firefly. So, but yeah, yeah. because Stephen was doing it, I told Elizabeth, and we ended up restarting the series too. <laughs> it's probably my. 15th watch through of it you got crazy <laughs> it's great it's just it's enjoyable to watch um and you haven't gotten to my favorite line of shepherd books yet but so we'll have to wait till next time but okay i'm curious though so jessica you don't like firefly i don't know i've only gotten i think i got to the three up third episode and then i was just done with it oh I don't know why, but it could help that a while ago there was a movie trailer that I thought was so unique and awesome <laughs> that took place in space. <laughs> I had no idea it was based off of a well-loved show at the time, and I went to go see the movie first. I actually did like the movie. I don't... Are you I talking about Serenity? Of... Yeah. Yeah, Serenity. Oh, okay. gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so... I, I liked the movie, and later on, I found out it was based off of a show. I think like a year later, I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and I tried watching. You watch everything just, backwards. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's kind of like Steven, though. I was watching like a ton of anime at the time that I tried watching Firefly, and I was just like, eh, "I'd rather be watching this." <laughs> I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it. Yeah, because definitely, I was watching Cowboy Bebop at the time, and I was like, "Man, Bebop is so much better." <laughs> <laughs> hey, John. I'll give it another oh, try, though. Oh, there you go. Yeah, maybe maybe you can trade out with uh, Elizabeth. Give her something to watch. Like Stephen's giving me something to watch. That's fair. So that you complete complete Firefly, yeah. John. John, did you have a a, 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 a opinion on Firefly? A hot take? Yeah, a hot take. Um, I love it. Um, I, you know, kind of contrary to what Stephen was saying, that first inst- uh, instance with uh, the battle, the flashback scene. The battle. I thought, oh, this is cool. But then the scene right after that is like a slow, like, just, what is it, like a scavenge thing going on in yes. space? Yeah. Yep. And I was like, oh, what happened to the cool stuff? Like, <laughs> it almost lost me there. Um, but then, yeah, once I kind of realized, oh, he's basically a Han Solo character, and this is all about him. This is awesome. And then, yeah, I, I actually, I think I watched the movie first, like Jess did, and I was oh, really, really confused until somebody told me, "Well, did you watch the show first? And I was like, "There's a show." I never had heard of Firefly at all. Like that was during the time I was in college. I think I started college back then, so I completely missed it, and. Um, I mean, Fox also didn't really support it anyway. So no. <laughs> that's why we didn't get the last episode on air. Yeah, I think they only aired like half the season before they pulled it. No, they aired like thirteen out of the fourteen episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But when did they cancel it though? They canceled it at around episode eleven, I think. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so I was watching, and they didn't air the episodes in the correct order too. I heard this is true. They they also jumped around. Anyway, uh, yeah, I love the show. That's great. Um, 
I I think why a lot of people prefer Cowboy Bebop more though is because it's a complete story, <laughs> and you, here you just get that tease. Um, I do want to say that the comics, I mean, while they may not be required reading, there's definitely a good comic that sort of bridges the gap between the show and the movie, oh. um, which I also found helpful because uh, it ties up some loose ends. Um, but there's some loose ends that stay loose, like the bounty hunter character, which I also really loved. I'm like, holy shit, if Boba Fett was a sadist, this would be him. <laughs> yeah, Steven hasn't got to that yet. No. Yeah, it's like, I don't... Yeah. You'll get there. there You'll get there. There's some really good character stuff, too. Like, I mean, that's what Joss Whedon is known for. Yeah. And I didn't know that this was a Joss Whedon thing at the time. And now, like, I kind of see the grander Whedonverse... Uh, I was like, oh yeah, this totally fits right in. This is his sci-fi work. Buffy was his supernatural thing. I don't know what else he's done since then. I kind of lost track. There's but. Dollhouse. There's a. Uh... He's really popular uh, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole different thing. But yeah, <laughs> well, and we'll get to that when we talk about Jodorowsky. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well, good like, segue. Good segue. Like Steven said. Well, not segue because we're not going there yet. <laughs> Out of having talked about this one thing. Uh, got you. Like Steven said, Firefly is available on Hulu. Jessica, what did you watch this week? Um, so a few weeks ago, I watched Journey to the Sun of the Earth. Or no, I watched Around the World in 80 Days. And uh, then this weekend, I watched Journey to the Sun of the Earth to keep it with like Jules Verne's uh, movies. Um, I've still, yeah, I watched. No, I watched the original. Um, for Journey to Center Earth, I watched the original one. So the one with uh, Pat Boone. Um, it's really good. So it's the one, like the, the cheesy, the dinosaurs in it are just Claymation. lizards. Oh, yeah. lizards. Okay. Is yeah, this... it's just, it, it was made in 1959. So. Is this with the stacks? Is that this? Or am I thinking of a different thing? It's Sleestacks. They're know, a little like lizard long. guys. No, no, it's, okay. um, so they go down into the center of the earth and in the center of the earth is like a massive ocean. And also there's a lizard, there's dinosaurs, I think is what they're supposed to be that <laughs> on the beach. But you can tell it's just that they filmed a lizard and like enlarged it. However you do that in film and made it seem <laughs> like it was significantly bigger than it actually was. And I, it's actually really good. It's. I actually really enjoyed watching it. It has a, like, for the time, it has a fairly strong female character in it that is insistent on going down in the center of the earth because she is recently a widow and her husband disco- helped discover this. So she's like, I'm going to go down. And, and of course, there's that like loathing relationship between her and the main doctor character. I can't remember his name. Um, um, and of course, they end up together in the end. So it's a bit romance, a bit sci fi. The acting is really good in it. Fun, hmm. fun old movie. And Jules Verne is great. Like Jules yeah. Verne, like what a mm-hmm. champion of writing. Oh yeah. Like now, now I have the urge to reread the books. <laughs> Dude, if, if anybody would want to do it with me, I actually picked up a copy of H.G. Wells's The Time Machine, like original version. If anyone wants to read that with me, like I'm down for it. I would do that. That's with a hard yes. book okay. to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's so good. There you go. You guys have uh, overtime to do. <laughs> but, uh, I'm sorry, Jess. I, I interrupted that. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> so I should re- read a lot more old sci-fi, too. I haven't really gotten too much other than Fahrenheit 451, I think. 
Mm. Yeah. I've got a lot of 80s stuff to recommend for that one. If you <laughs> <laughs> Go a little bit further back than the 80s. Yeah, yeah but there's, there's some good pioneering stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the um, Sleestacks were Land of the Lost was the one I was thinking of. Ah, uh, yeah, that's Land of the Lost. Oh, yeah, Land of the Lost. I said yeah. that out loud, Land of the Lost. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear it at all. <laughs> yeah. Jess, did you have another <laughs> thing that you wanted to talk about, or was it just that? Um, I also started like in between, I'm still binge watching Steven Universe. Um, but I also started Never Have I Ever on Netflix last night. I, would, I just watched the first episode. So that's kind of sort of a coming of age story for a Indian American girl. She's a sophomore in high school and she's gone through some traumatic things, but it's very hilarious. Mm-hmm. It follows some of the typical like coming of age story tropes, but the twist on it, it is for whatever reason narrated by a pro tennis player for some reason. And it just, it fits so well. And I feel like it's one of those ones where it's it's using comedy, but it's covering up like actual really good messages and, and stuff. It just, I already like it first episode and I can't wait to finish it. So it was such a weird decision for them to use the guy for the voiceovers. But it also, it also feels like a little bit of like the Wonder Yearsy. At times, because of it, yeah, I, I, yeah. But I, I, I like it. I really, I think it's interesting, and I think they kind of sort of explain in in the first episode, kind of sort of why he's the one narrating it. So, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, because yeah, at first I was like, wait, what? Why is it narrated by like <laughs> <laughs> tennis player? I need to remember his name because he's. I think he, he's, yeah, he, he was a big deal, but I always forget it. Yeah. Pete Sampras? Andre Agassi? No, not Andre Agassi. Like, older guy. It's weird. John He's McEnroe? Like McEnroe. <laughs> that sounds more like it. Jinx. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a while since. Like, I, I, I John watched McEnroe. Last yeah, John, John McEnroe. McEnroe. So the one that gets angry. Yeah. The, so, um, I mean, that kind of makes sense that. then. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it works. Because yeah. the main character is also hot-headed like that. Mm-hmm. I'd be, it, it makes sense. I was interested <laughs> in watching this, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh sounds like both of you liked it. Did, did you like the way that she approaches like the new year of school in that first episode? She's like, all right, we're doing this, we're doing this, and we're doing this. I feel like, I feel like it, it fits her character to do that. I, I feel like <laughs> a hot-headed person who just went through what she had went through. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's exactly how a sophomore within that brain set that they have, like in her personality type, this is exactly how it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did, I did like it. It was appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so that is on Netflix. Never have I ever, but what was, where was, where could you find journey to the center of the earth? That was on Disney plus. It was on Disney plus. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you have another one? Oh, well, I guess I, I read Wonder Woman Dead Earth Volume 1 last yeah. night. <laughs> did you enjoy it? I did. Surprisingly, it was it was different. I really liked the drawing style of it. And I I like this version of Wonder Woman, too. This Like, they stuck true to her character, even though they completely flipped where she was at in time. Mm-hmm. It seemed like she, they really stuck true to who she is as a person and... Yeah, no, I really like it. it. If if you it. if you liked that first one, 
Go ahead and just wait until it's like a week until the third issue comes out to read the second one. Okay, yeah, I will. Yeah. Is it a massive cliffhanger or something? It's a bridge issue. It's definitely oh. a bridge issue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The past few months have been really rough for me. Oh. <laughs> okay, so if you want to get a copy of a digital copy of Wonder Woman Dead Earth, you can get it on uh, Comixology. Yeah. Well, I got it through Kindle, or, which it was Kindle with Comixology, there you I go. think. Kindle. Yeah, so. Uh, John, what did you watch this week? Oh, boy. Oh All right, boy. so I want to preface this by saying that... I think I'm finally getting over the idea that we're all approaching imminent death. Good. Um, I still think it's happening, but I'm just getting better at dealing with it. Good. Uh, that Thank you. Um, so I started watching more things. Um, and so the only one I really want to talk about is this movie that I actually have been looking forward to seeing for a very long time. It's one of the main reasons why I got a Shudder account. Mandy. The Nicolas Cage uh, Cosmos Panatos movie. Uh, but I think okay. also want to shout out to Prop Culture on Disney Plus. <laughs> Holy shit, this show was made just for me. This is awesome. I love yeah. it. Wait, did we I just jump from Mandy to Disney Props? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes sense for the plot of Mandy. Oh, <laughs> does it? <laughs> Glad it makes um, sense to somebody. But yeah, I've only gotten to like the first three episodes. I think there's six in the first season. But man, like watching them like revisit and like actually handle some of the original like physical things from Mary Poppins and Tron and Who Framed Roger Rabbit was so cool. Um, and I have to admit, I when they have the the Sherman guy that was the composer for Mary Poppins, he actually came and played. Uh, feed the birds on Walt Disney's piano in his original office mm-hmm. with uh, the Schwartz guy that played him in the movie, the Saving Mr. Banks, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and the guy who's like the prop collector dude. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, reminded me a little bit of you, Stephen. I feel like that's kind of like what you do, and I'm probably way wrong. But this guy's oh, like, uh, a, yeah, yeah, like a movie memorabilia dealer type person. Um, but he brings oh. it back to the original source. Is what he does. Yeah, it's, my my boss did not do that. No. <laughs> the, 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 the original chair for the haunted mansion is just sitting in a warehouse. It's great, but what? it's just there. Yeah, I sat in it. It's not comfy. So the well, guy, so so the well, guy that's so, in the in the documentary or in the show is Indiana Jones because he wants to get it back to the museum. But basically, uh, yeah, Stephen's old boss so is a Nazi. Cool. Like, he brings the original <laughs> Tron suit. Like, I don't know if this would be considered a spoiler, but he brings the original Tron suit back to Bruce Botzinger, and they meet at an arcade that actually has the Tron cabinet. Oh, so nice. they, like, play around together, and then they, like, talk about the suit. And it's kind of interesting because they're all wearing, like, white gloves and everything when they're handling certain things, if they can even handle it, because some of the stuff is really delicate. Um, so I was like, wow, it's like they're, it's like the anti roadshow, but for, like, things I actually cared about. As a kid. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, they, they, uh, they had the original Flynn neon sign from outside the arcade, but it was in a bad state. And they actually, um, they repaired it as much as they could without, you know, changing it too much from the original. Cause that's part of the point. They restored it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked beautiful. Like it looked like it was brand new when they lit it back up after they uh, did all the neon work on it. And uh, yeah, so that was really cool. That was the prop show. But going to my real week's watch, 
Uh, oh yeah, and I also finished Star Trek: The Next Generation. Be on the lookout. Yeah. For report on that soon. Awesome. Uh, that being said, so I watched Mandy. Yes. <sighs> I mean, I can only describe this movie as a fever dream between David Lynch and uh, Sam Raimi. Oh wow. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> it's but like a split personality. So like you know what happens if you've never seen it, Lost Highway. The main character, played by was it Bill, Bill Pullman? Pullman? Yeah, yeah. He kind of goes through a transformation. So, like the first half of the movie, he's one person. The second half of the movie, he's a completely different person, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what happens in this movie, and it's a very, very simple story of just revenge. I, I don't think I'd be ruining anything if I told you beat for beat what actually happens, because this movie is not about the story. Mm-mm. <laughs> This okay. thing is a visual experience. This thing is like a roller coaster. Like I could tell you that you get on a roller coaster and you're going to go through two loop-de-loops and a big dip at the end. It still doesn't ruin the actual experience for you because you just have to live through it. This <laughs> thing is just a very simple revenge story. A couple that lives in the woods. Bill, uh, Bill Cates. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nicholas Cage is a lumberjack and you know the, his wife or girlfriend is the aforementioned Mandy. Uh, well, they come across a cult. This takes place in '83 for some reason. Because uh, you got to really get rid of cell phones. Why? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so um, they run across a cult that's just kind of roaming through the woods, and the cult takes a liking to them. They kill Mandy, and then this sets off Nicolas Cage on a revenge rampage. So that first half, up until that murder happens, it feels like the David Lynch movie. It's very slow, very methodical, some very trippy visuals. And then it becomes a Sam Raimi movie. (laughs) I mean, like Sam Raimi with a dose of acid. Like spit on your grave Sam Raimi, right? Uh, Or was it Drag Me to Hell? Which one was his? It's still a little bit crazier. Drag Me to Hell. This is more (laughs) akin to like Evil Dead, I would say. The remake. Of Evil Dead. I mean, this goes yeah. falls to the wall. Like, holy shit! <laughs> um, How long is into the movie? Is it before he ends up with his face covered in blood? Um, that's about almost the, like three quarters into the movie. That's almost by the end. Okay, but yes, when that scene happens, like <laughs> when he gets his face covered in blood, I was like, holy shit! I was not expecting that. <laughs> it gets pretty violent, but it's also kind of like a little bit heavy metal. I want to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a very. There's, there's a couple of scenes where like he's having dreams, I think, and those are done in like a heavy metal animation style. Ooh. Okay. And then like when he decides to go onto this rampage, like he puts on these cool aviator sunglasses and he forges a battle axe. <laughs> Cuz you know, like you do. I mean, but <laughs> Something out of like a Klingon armory. Like this is not just any regular battle axe. This is like <laughs> it's got edges and like it's shiny chrome metal. It looks weird. It's it's imp- it's pretty insane. It's an insane movie. Like I don't know how to describe it other than if you like weird shit and I do, <laughs> this is gonna be something that you have to watch. I'm like I really want to see his his uh his first movie now, um, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, have you not seen it? I have not seen it. I want. That's one of his I have seen. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the trailer, and just based off of that, and now the reputation that this director has, I'm like, this is definitely a must-watch for me. It's Honestly, just, it's, it's it's slower than what you're describing. It sounds like the second coming of Jod- Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. 
say, yeah, there's definitely some uh, some resemblance here to just this weirdness and the, these creepy visuals. I mean, and one of the things they talk about in the documentary is like, there's no way that he could have fulfilled his vision back then because we can barely do that now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely right. I think this movie is just another stepping stone into like what one day could be that original vision that Jodorowsky had. I'm not so, that ever get made. So Steven, did you did you never watch Mandy? Because I know you and I talked a long time about checking this movie out together and we just never did. Yeah, no, I I only ever ended up watching like a highlight of scenes from the thing. Uh, um but I think pairing that with having seen um uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, I think I've gotten the things that I'm going to like most from it. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you're only there for the action stuff, then I mean, a highlight reel sounds like it's for you because it is a two-hour movie, and yeah. the first half, like I said, literally nothing happens except just this weird ambiance and um, get ready, like just get used to the color red a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's okay. I think that's his thing because Beyond the Black Rainbow, that whole damn movie is red. I, I can see that. That's like a. Uh... Dario Argento, Dario Argento, like a lot of his stuff's always red. Oh yeah, it, it has a lot of uh, that same color scheme of uh, Suspiria, for instance. Yeah. yeah. But, um, um, I was gonna say, uh, Jessica and Elizabeth, does John's description make you want to watch this movie? Since I, I assume yes. neither one of you heard about it before. <laughs> a hard pass for me. A hard pass. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch it. I. That don't know much I mean, about any of the movies that have been named, but just having seen David Lynch on this documentary, because was no, he wasn't on there. No. Oh no. Who was it that was on there as the younger director who Jodorowsky? Oh, it's the guy who did Drive. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, Nicholas Wyndham Reef Reffin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but if it's anything like what this documentary talks about i'm good <laughs> surrealism no, has never that. been my thing surrealism's not your I thing think, i think you would like drive though possibly i don't think I don't she think would love it i don't think huh? she would i hated that movie and I, don't, I don't think she would like it i think she'd be more okay with it i'll show it to her See, I, I mean no, I, I, don't 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 burn a whole movie usage on, <laughs> on that one <laughs> But if it happens, I don't think she's going to turn it off. I don't see. Drive is good on a technical level, but like the, the I don't know if it's the pacing. It, if something about it feels really off, but you can tell that it was made by some talented people. Yeah, that's fair. It wasn't quite a good movie. Although to it's be fair, we've slow. we've established the fact that the technical stuff doesn't bother or inspire me. Like I'm yes. very much about the storyline. Well, well, I'll show it to her. I, you, you don't seem to understand is that she's going to be with me for the rest of my life. So she, I have a lot of movies to show her forever. I'll show her this one. I don't care. I'll, I mean, that gives me an opportunity to rewatch it. I hated it the first time I watched it, but maybe I'll find something better in it that I might enjoy. It has uh, Mrs. Malcolm Reynolds in it. Okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, Saffron. Yeah. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> it's a Firefly reference. Okay. I know what he's talking about. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, <clears throat> surrealism's just not usually my thing. Um, at all. So John, Mandy is on Shutter, and the what was the prop show on Disney Plus? A prop culture. Prop culture. Gotcha. Uh, did you have another thing you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, that was it. Other than you know, if you like really weird things and uh don't care necessarily if it's not a good movie 
but an entertaining one. Uh, I say you give it a shot. Okay. Do you, do you recommend Star Trek The Next Generation to people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a bit of a slog in some parts, but there's some damn good episodes as we get towards the end there. I'll have to make it past season four then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's when it really starts to pick up. There's Is a it? great episode uh, that deals specifically with some of the lower ranks, kind of looking at the main crew from like a peon standpoint. It is great. Like just them interacting. They have similar poker games to like the Riker and Troy and the Forge and all of them have. Mm-hmm. And they're just talking about how like, man, I got chewed up by Riker today. You know, like <laughs> I swear <laughs> that guy hates me. You know, like that kind of conversation. It was great. It was hey, a good episode. That reminds me that the the there was more discussion about the the lower deck show coming out soon. The animated Star Trek show about the the crew that, that exist on the lower decks. It's in how you never they aren't a part of the 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 show like they they don't they don't call it a show but like it seems like everything always focuses on the people on the bridge and they have to deal with all the crap exactly (laughs) yeah so it's supposed to be on cbs all access they just had to postpone it because of uh because of covid did any of you guys watch house in a big way yes house you remember there's that one episode of house where it shows everyone else Yes. In the place, yeah, mm-hmm. and you just like house and them all walk by, and in the middle of his sentence, the elevator door closes. Uh huh. Everyone's just like, "What the fuck's up with those guys?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a good episode. Was, I love that episode so much. <laughs> I love yeah, house. real fly on the wall stuff. I find interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a show I can't remember what it was called. I'm pretty sure it failed, but it, I like the concept of it, where it was like basically trying to do trying to be like an insurance company in a world that had superheroes oh was it power not powers no it wasn't it powers. Was powerless, maybe powerless, maybe powerless yeah. yeah they, yeah. they changed like, it I really was like the concept of it i don't think it was successful i think i only ended up watching the first episode but you know i, I like that concept of being that that third person <laughs> being someone that works in insurance <laughs> definitely tell you that sounds really awesome because yeah. I'll have conversations with people about like, man, you won't believe this thing I saw today with this car that ended up upside down on the roof of a three-story house. Like, imagine that kind of conversation, but with superheroes. Actually, I don't think it was insurance. I think it might have been a company that invented things in order to protect you when you got in situations. That's what it was. Yeah, because originally the show was supposed to be insurance. They changed it to Mm -hmm. being uh, Wayne Tech, like a a version of Wayne Tech that was run by Alan Tudyk's character was uh, Wayne's cousin, (laughs) Bruce Wayne's cousin. And... She, he, uh, they, they invented things, yeah, to protect you from superhero fights or stuff like that. John, which insurance company was it that you you worked for? Worked, worked. He works for currently. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say anything so like hard and fast. But what is it? <laughs> what? Would, I, I don't want to say like yes, John works for this insurance company. Tell us the inner workings of it. Oh, like, oh. What, what, which company is it? Uh, it is the major automotive insurance provider. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same one that I currently work for, but in the, the house... Um, it is. The I house think it is. If, you, yes. if it's the one that you for, <laughs> then it is. Okay. Yeah. In, in the house insurance policy, if you read it, it says they like you can get reimbursed for damage caused by a multitude of natural disasters, other things, and then also missiles. Missiles are in there. <laughs> yep. Yep. You um, know, what, I mean, you know, we live. Things I learned about working from insurance is that if it's not specifically listed, you may not be covered. So you got to <laughs> yeah. make sure you put well, everything in there. 
Thank your lawyers (laughs) for why missiles are included in there. I live not too far from a missile range, so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we we have we have jet planes flying all over the place in order. Okay. A little bit. <laughs> so uh, my week's watch uh, is a couple things. I wa- I finally got to watch Uncut Gems, and I just want to say, if you are a fan of the Safdie Saf- brothers, you should probably give it a watch. You'll love it. I hated it. I thought it was the, one of the worst <laughs> movies I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I don't care for them. I didn't care for Good Time with uh, Robert Pattinson either. It's kind of the same thing of... These are just despicable characters, and you're just following them around. And I think I like it then. Yeah, why, why, why would I care about characters? Why, why do I want to watch a movie about a characters I don't care about? Like, I don't care what happens to them. I don't care what they're going to do. Like, they're just despicable people, and it's just not for me. So, uh, I hated everything about that movie. <laughs> I also watched the rhythm section, which is uh. Blake Lively's revenge movie. Uh, she, her family is killed in a uh, plane explosion, a terrorist plane explosion. And five years later, uh, basically she gets taken in by Jude law. Who's X MI six and trained how to be an assassin. And it, Ooh. that's, the movie it's not as good as i just made it sound oh bummer because i was saying because the trailer looked good but yeah it's it's at least somewhat interesting and it has a coherent story unlike uncut gems (laughs) (laughs) uh the trade-off with steven uh for those i'm not going to get too much into it because i've only watched half the season now i'll watch the other half and, and get back to everybody next week but i did start keep cowboy bebop um it still is an anime so it has that strike against it for me not that i hate anime but i just don't get into it as much and the style of the show i don't care for (laughs) not the art but the style like the the storytelling style the the mixture of the music which i know is a big part of that show like it's straight up jazz music and all that um and the way that they handle their main character of Spike Spiegel, it, it's hard for me to get behind, which I understand. I, I see where Steven's making the, the, the draw between Captain Mal Reynolds and, uh, and Spike Spiegel, but maybe it's just because I hold Hot Firefly a little bit closer to my heart that it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't quite pan out for me. But like I said, I will get more into that when... Uh, next week, after I finish the whole season and watch the movie, See, now, which I do want to interject here. Oh. Okay. I did want to say that Spike Spiegel definitely has fashion sense on his side over uh, Malcolm Reynolds, but aside from that, that's fair. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but um, he's just wearing the same blue coat and yellow shirt like all the time. Yeah, right. When you get it right, you don't change it. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, I was gonna. I was just curious. Like, only one tiny question out of everything: Do you like Jet? Yeah, of course you like. How can you not like Jet? Like, okay, he, he's just a cool dude. That's like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Like, and that's kind of me throughout this whole thing. I'm just like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Well, get ready for heartbreak. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. But I just thought it was funny because there's 26 episodes of uh, of cowboy bebop they're half hour episodes and then there's a movie and then there's 
14 episodes of Firefly and then there's a movie. So, but Firefly is an hour long. So it's, it works out to about the same amount of time we're spending on both shows. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, yeah, I was, I was okay. I'm okay. I'm okay watching the show. I am not thrilled by it yet. That's all I have to say. I I like that we like, we traded and we've come down like in the exact same spot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like we're we're good friends. We like a lot of the same things. We usually come down in the exact same way on a lot of movies. Most of the things. Yeah. And for this one, we both like went out on a limb and we're trying a thing and we're just like, well, I I think you kind of sort of both point out that it depends on what you were watching back when it was out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like that nostalgia level that you get from watching it. Like I, I liked Cowboy Bebop watching it. I don't think I really loved it until I actually sat down and watched the whole thing in order. And I was like, oh, I see why this is so well loved. But mm-hmm. I had to watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I do, but, but I like the themes of it because I love jazz and bounty hunters. <laughs> I, like. So it's like, I, I like I, this. I hate that clown episode, which I think you've gotten past, Mitch. The clown episode? There's a weird guy. He's like blown up. <laughs> it's the whole town that everything happens in. I hate that episode. And I'm so sorry if you've had to watch it or will have to watch it. I think I will have to watch it because I don't think I don't remember a clown yet. Yeah. Okay. It, it Honestly, it, it does, however, feel very Batman the Animated Series. So maybe you'll like it. I don't know. But I hate that episode. See, and I think it feels more like Batman Beyond. I, I just mean for that one episode. The oh, oh they just say. had episodes. Oh, okay. I'm just talking about the whole show. No, 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 no. <laughs> there was another thing that I watched, but I don't remember what it is, so I will go past it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get into... Wait. No? Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> My bad. I did have a movie, another movie that I was supposed to watch, or that I did watch. I watched Elizabeth's Decision, uh, the movie that she needed me to watch. Uh, a long time ago, when the Britton Fraser uh, Mummy movies came out, the Mummy and the Mummy Returns and the Scorpion King doesn't really have Brendan Fraser in it, but I did go see it. I went and saw all three of those in the theater. Mm-hmm. I would say I enjoyed the Mummy. The Mummy Returns is okay, not as good as the Mummy. The Mummy is also just not that great of a movie. It's just a movie. It's a good movie, in my opinion. Um, so I never saw the Mummy, the Dragon. The cur- no, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, the trailer just—I I remember seeing the trailer, just like, nah, it just doesn't do it for me. It, it, and I didn't have a big place in my heart for the Mummy series in the first place, so I never saw it. And Elizabeth, being a big fan of the Mummy series, wanted me to watch the last one, so we Which sat is down. By far, not the best, but that's it is, okay. Yeah, it, <laughs> and I, I, I get it. A lot of people didn't like the fact that Rachel Weiss didn't come back for the third movie. That she got replaced by Maria Bello, and that just happens sometimes. Yeah. I think my biggest part, my biggest like gripe with the movie is like it seemed like most of the actors just didn't care. Like they were there. <laughs> like Michelle Yeoh is awesome in it. She is about the only thing that I enjoyed in this whole movie. Like. But she's such a small part. Like she's the the witch at the beginning, and then in, at the end, she's immortal because she's been trying to stop people from. She's the Odette Fair character, like from the first two movies. She's stopping people from bringing the mummy back to life, and of course these these white folk come right in and 
bring the mummy back to life. Like it's just what what we do. Uh, but it's it was the the sun was my biggest yeah gripe in this movie. The actor who plays Alex, who has a career, he's made other movies, was just bad. He was his acting was just horrendous <laughs> to me. I didn't I didn't get it. His, his, he just he's trying to be like super cool like it just came off natural for brendan fraser in those first two movies but for him it's so forced and it, it hurts it hurt me in this one is this the one that has the scene in the beginning where his brother-in-law or whatever has that he has like an artifact uh kind of thing that he's like showing off and someone tries to like take it from him i think that's, yeah, that's the bummy returns one. yeah okay okay yeah. i just love that scene so much <laughs> Uh, so yes, the, the, the tomb of the dragon emperor, I wasn't thrilled with, <laughs> That's but I'm, I'm glad we got away from animated movies for a little bit. I was saying, I mixed it up. You can't, you know, I did not force you to watch another Disney animation, animation You're right. movie You're this week. Right. That was this on, week. I got it off of Google, Google play. Uh, so that's where we watched that from. But, uh, anybody else have an opinion on the third mummy movie? It's by oh, far my least favorite that. of the Mummy series. Least it's, favorite. It's horrible. I feel like it doesn't make any... Like, I liked the idea of it. Like, I liked that they pulled away from Egypt mm-hmm. to be at the Great Wall of China because, yeah, there is a lot of mummies there. I loved that concept. But I feel like the kid in the second movie was not the same as the adult yeah. in the third movie. And it probably is because of the bad acting. Like, I feel like a child that came from those two people... That went through what he did in The Mummy Returns wouldn't end up like that. Yeah. And it could be because of the acting, though. Like, and I really, I think I only watched it once and in theaters. So it's been a long time. So I don't remember quite everything. But yeah, I remember being very disappointed because I really liked The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Well, and just the Rachel Weiss not coming back, the chemistry changes. And the chemistry is a lot of the push through the movies. It's a lot of the a lot of the pull yeah. and storyline. So right. it just yeah. doesn't like, feel the same. I understand a recast. Like I will take a recast over killing off that character yeah. because the actor won't come out. Like I'll I'll take that in most cases. But I didn't think they I don't know if they just didn't build up to the chemistry enough beforehand. I don't know if they like rushed the filming or something, but Well, I think you, you- need to be able to get that chemistry back or at least be able to act out that chemistry that came from the first. I think you can see that a lot of character building and story was cut out of this one for action. Yeah. Like there's whole scenes. I pointed it out during the movie where <laughs> the, the, the parents, Brendan Fraser and uh, Maria Bello are having an argument with their son. And then the very next scene, they're in a car together and like, okay, well we're good now. Like we just changed clothes and everything. Like there's a scene that should be there where they have a discussion. Like, yes, we were wrong. Or yes, you were, you know, kind like there's something, a lot of story was just cut out for action scenes, which I can see because Stephen Summers didn't come back to direct. They had Rob Cohen come in. They the studio was just like, we need to make this third movie, um, and we just need to get butts in the seats. Like we just need a straight up action film. And they mm-hmm. they sacrificed a lot of the character building. Like the character building they kept in there was for Alex, the son, and it's just like he is too bland of a character. Like there's nothing going on with him. Like oh, he's a woman. Like the whole he gets the his uncle's bar and he's immediately like 
trying to hit on these on, on a woman there and he gets in a fight because of that but like the scene right before that is him almost dying in the dragon emperor's tomb like <laughs> something should have happened there there should be some kind of transition you're just just throwing them in uh, it's just it was a it's badly edited uh badly told story you were about to say something john no i don't think so no okay <laughs> <laughs> did anybody else have an opinion on the the dragon emperor i'm I'm sorry i totally blanked on talking about it. we just finished watching it too <laughs> this morning <laughs> yeah right before we started uh okay well then let's get to jodorowsky's dune a documentary uh about a dune adaptation that was never made uh directed by frank pavich i don't know if he'd made other documentaries or not uh john since you huh they did a good job i feel like they had to have because the way that they paced the things everything was super solid yes you know the do the 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 documentary itself was pretty great um Mm -hmm. So John, just not the man himself. <laughs> just not the man himself, John. Since you brought it to the table, this is this is your your venue now. Yes, this is my wheelhouse. Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a big fan again of the behind the scenes, the what goes into the production of movies. I mean, I probably know way more than any healthy adult should about what went into making things like Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Um, but yeah, I've always been fascinated by like, what does it actually take and what goes on in the mind of a director? I mean, I, I've stated with Mandy, I'm fascinated by the choices that a person makes to put that on camera and what went through their mind. Um, even a bad, horrible movie like Tideland still Ooh, fascinates me because bad. somebody had to think of that and put it <laughs> on screen. So, um, yeah, this was like a really good insight into essentially the whole process of like, all right, well, here's this really kooky, strange man that uh, definitely had a different voice or a view of the world and, um, you know, was started a career. And I guess it definitely was, I would say it was kind of notorious or infamous in the film world back in the in the 60s, I believe is when it started. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, where it went from there, you know, the spark of creative madness that this man had and the foresight to collect all of these specific people um, and uh, just the journey that happens to to make the, the greatest movie never made, I think is one of the <laughs> taglines I see thrown about this version of Dune. Uh, so I was just fascinated. Uh, it's not something that would come across most people's radars, unfortunately, uh, again, unless you're kind of like me. Uh, and then after, you know, Danny Villeneuve making his uh, adaptation of Dune, which from what I've been hearing is going to be really, really interesting. And then most recently with our watch of um, uh, Russian Doll and how they just happened to throw that title in there. I was like, well, this has to happen now. (laughs) I wanted to use this opportunity to share it with everyone and see what y'all think about this now. So uh, just to get off or to get to a start, I've seen david lynch's dune once i've never read the book uh elizabeth i didn't know what dune was so it was a good <laughs> so, that, that the documentary has a little recap of what dune is at the very beginning because there was i came from a place of zero knowledge okay uh, jessica what did you have knowledge of dune before this i feel like i've watched most of the movie and i was going to read it a few years ago but at the time it was like 
I could only find one copy, and that copy was ridiculously expensive. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I probably should try again. Well, it was like within the time when I was in college, it was too expensive for me. Probably could buy it now. That's but, fair. Or get it on my Kindle now that I have one. But And Steven, what's your prior knowledge of Dune? So I've seen the movie. Um, I like a lot of the visual things in the movie and so that made me want to read the book and i have tried man (laughs) (laughs) it's a hard read yeah it's a lot i mean i've I've read contact and oh boy is that a dry book (laughs) (laughs) well they make a reference in the documentary that dune is a lot like proust right yeah so it's very russian in the but it's it's very dry very dry. Okay. It's very dry, yeah. and you have no idea what's going on for the first solid hundred pages <laughs> of any of Proust's books. Yeah, I was gonna say if yeah, you I, like sci-fi, like Ender's Game, Ender's Game is like a pop culture sci-fi, whereas Dune would be like War and Peace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is a slog. <laughs> I think that might have been why I didn't buy it because I think for the price that it was, I was like, I know I'm gonna find this hard to read. It's <laughs> so, but it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I'm so surprised it was a hard book to find because we like we always had a copy of it when I worked at Hastings. Um, don't get me wrong; it's that same cover that everyone's seen, mostly black with one little strip that has the tan desert in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a paperback book because there's so much fucking book there. Yeah, um, but it'll always be like twenty five dollars. Yeah, the library always had the whole set too because uh, oh, after all Frank Herbert. Uh, his son, I think, took over the series. And so, like, yeah, I, I, that was my section. So I remember shelving those books constantly. I'll go to the library when it opens back up then. <laughs> so uh, I knew early on <laughs> in this documentary that I would probably, I mean, I already didn't really care for the David Lynch Dune. So I never really had a, 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 a want to go read the book. But I knew early on in this documentary that I definitely would not want to go watch Jodorowsky's Dune if there was a, a cut of it out there, which there isn't. Um, but if there was, because uh, Nicholas Rendum, Winding, Winding Refn says that he enjoyed it and I can't stand his movie. So <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I like Drive, but I like Drive in spite of itself for all of the aesthetic <laughs> halves of it. Like, it's not for the plot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Fair. Uh, drive, drive is a lot like um, uh, oh I forget the name of it right now the most like recent Mad-, Mad Max Fury Road oh. Mad Max Fury Road there's like maybe five sentences of plot in there yep <laughs> yeah. see for me I think the uh, the indicator for me that this was when this document Jodorowsky was going to be a rough person for me to listen to was the mm-hmm. opening like biography of him and the fact that he was Mexico's avant-garde theater director. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be great. <laughs> and then they do the the his first few movies, El Topo. El and, Topo, the, high, the, the, Holy uh, Mountain. the Holy Mountain, and, and Sangra uh, Sangri or and something And I was like, like yep, this is Santa's all Sangri. the Santa things that I hate about avant-garde and the surrealist right. movement. So, and I was just like, oh, this is going to be not... This is not going to be me. Know, what did you think when they showed that scene when they were showing his early work and there's a guy in a tuxedo playing a piano that's on fire? Yeah. I said, yeah, that's about right. That, that's on, on, on brand right there. That's exactly. or, yeah, It was just, I was looking at it and I was just like, I was like, this is 
mm, this is not going to be my person. <laughs> or the Holy Mountain, the, the the scene in the Holy Mountain where the dude's crapping out gold, like his yeah. gold poop, like... What what are we do- what are we watching here? Like what- or El Topo and the kid is entirely the naked for which the is entire his son. movie, which um, is apparently his six year old son, <laughs> right? I'm like I'm like I don't. And then you understand. find out that's his son, and I'm still like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> what was the truth? And like to be fair, like I was I was getting weird vibes, so I like looked. I didn't just take this documentary because I'd never heard of Yodorowsky before. I did read a bunch of other articles about him too outside of this documentary because i was like i shouldn't judge him just from one documentary he's a cult leader <laughs> yeah <laughs> like to me there the only the only sane person in the entire movie was Foss. chris, chris foss. foss yeah chris foss was awesome in the whole documentary <laughs> yeah. you say it because because mobius is already dead oh okay he, mobius is amazing he's like like it, art pioneer true not, I didn't get, not didn't in terms get, of their the quality of their work for me, Chris Foss was the only one on the documentary who was like, yeah, no, this was a cult. Like this, this, this is dude crazy. was crazy, but <laughs> yeah. they were paying me and it sounded like fun. Like, like, so I appreciated his very much like, no, 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 this is a cult. Like these people are insane. And I just, I appreciate, cause I was like listening to all of them. I'm like, what Kool-Aid are you all drinking? Like I felt the I felt the worst for Dan O'Bannon. Like like he just picks up his life and goes to France for two years, and then the movie doesn't get made. Like obviously he gets he gets to go on to make Alien, which is awesome. But I, I he he got stuck with Giger. Giger is the person that you kept with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Giger and Mobius, right? Like yeah, Mobius. Mobius, Mobius was involved, but Mobius is not like. He he's not the influential voice in any of that yeah, stuff. His fingerprints isn't as strongly on it. It's true. Yeah, like yeah. people just don't talk about the fact that the top of the, the xenomorph's head is just a penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole well, alien I mean, thing he's is German. a metaphor for rape, but on a man. But it's so impregnating and all that <laughs> nastiness, and the face scarver looks oddly vulva-like. It's, you know, it's just yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's at the same time a hand, but then also like the front of it is a vulva. Like it's. It's a lot. I hate Giger. And I was happy to see him have a hard time living. Like, <laughs> he did. Sounds like he's like. And then I, I, I think uh, he I suffered several mental illnesses, and the art was an expression of that. That's why he had such messed up like art. I just I yeah. I hate Giger so much. Oh, he's dead well, now. So like, is he dead now? Yes, since like 2011, I think. No, this documentary came out in 2013. No, yeah. he, he died in 2014. So. Oh, okay. Well, he's dead regardless. But see, that makes sense. We we saw a man who was just about to die. <laughs> My other thing is is like even if the studios had given him the money he asked for, one they were right. This would have totally gone over budget, over timeline. Hmm. Like it would have been ridiculous because that's I mean, what just happens about when that you cast. have but the other thing is, is like, there is no way you would get Orson Welles and Salvador Dali to work together. Like, they would attempt to work together, and that would just fall apart. Like, the egos that you have in that room, based on who he was choosing, well, they wouldn't was have just insane. Seen. Really? But even just to be on set at the same time would have been The horrendous. Emperor doesn't have a scene with the, the Baron? With Harkonnen? I don't believe so. Oh, Okay. But like for that one, the the thing for me is like I think we've seen this like the other like the flip side to this coin already. Have you guys watched the documentary for They'll Love Me When I'm Dead? Nope. Uh-uh. 
Um, Don't Love Me When I'm Dead is about Orson Welles trying to make a movie over like a decade and a half. Mm. At, at like where his career was like collapsing. Um, mm-hmm. We saw that whole story play out. He wasn't lucky enough to get the other people and have the same kind of like leftover charisma and still having actual like cultural cachet with people. He'd already used his up on other failed projects and had cheapened himself through doing advertising and stuff like that uh, for Orson Welles. Yodorowsky didn't have that. People still felt like, oh, avant-garde. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, so he pretty much had like carte blanche to do a bunch of different things. And he got all these people around him with that charisma, which is still present in his old age, honestly. Well, like he's, still oh, very, he's very Yes, he's a charismatic cult leader. But the problem with self-proclaimed prophets is, is they can't listen to anybody else. And then you have, have ego deliver. and then you have egomaniacs who also refuse to listen to anybody else. There's just no way that Dolly would have act I mean Dolly's muse was probably my second favorite because she was like telling Jordowski. She was telling Jordowski. Yeah, Jordowski. That like no, if you if you hire Dolly, he will do everything in his power to ruin this film. Like yeah. you you don't understand. Yeah. And I'm like, you maybe should listen to her. Like maybe she has something there. <laughs> but like you just, I, yeah. There's I. Even if the studio executives had given them the last five million, I don't see how this movie would have ended up being. The fact made. that they were going to give him ten million. Well, he'd raise ten. I, million. Oh, he'd raise ten million. Yeah. That movie would have never been made in any way, shape, or form. I think right now the best version of that movie exists as just the thumbnails. Because like yeah. like when you read a comic book, you read it in your voice. Mm-hmm. You read it with your transitions, your movements, everything like that, that you visualize in your mind. It's specifically crafted and tailored to you by you. Which is, why, the best- which is why this is the best movie never made. Because in everybody's head, they fill in the blanks with the best <clears> thing <throat> that they could think of. Like, yeah. yeah. Everything exists between the panels. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. like no no one can make it happen. Even Yodorowsky's version of this, the best version of it that he would have loved is not the version that 30 of the people who read that thing would have ever imagined. Right. Yeah. I feel like. But I, I would buy that book though. <laughs> well, there's only two <laughs> yeah. copies. There's only two copies. Oh, good luck. I feel like if this movie was actually made, it would have set back sci-fi. I feel like I would have made sci-fi avant-garde and we wouldn't get Alien, we wouldn't get Star Wars, we wouldn't get all the sci-fi that we love if this avant-garde sci-fi was made. I like that. I, that's what I feel like. I, I think it's wonderful yeah. that it did inspire it. There are a few inspirations, though, that I think they were just pulling. Like, there's that time where they're like, Star Wars copied the sword play from... Yeah, that was dumb. Dude, and I'm like... Oh, well, yeah, I'm it's like, not just that, but yeah. That, within that one sword play thing, I was like, how else do you... Do sword, do sword play. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, give it. like oh, think, look, it's the same stance because that's how you hold a sword. Like <laughs> the only thing for that one is like that was a convenient one for them to talk about in that moment with the thumbnail thing. Uh-huh. But yeah. Star was lifted heavily from that, and then um, yeah, yeah, Jabba is obviously Mars. Harkonnen, like Baron Harkonnen. Like it's the same. Yeah. Thing. Uh, if you yeah. want to see some blatant ripoff though from Star Wars, where like where that inspiration came from, look at the original comic for Valyrian. Yeah, I know the movie that came oh, out yeah. recently wasn't that great, but that mm-hmm. comic is straight up like yeah. the shot-for-shot uh, shot, like scenes that they used in Star Wars. Also, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. I didn't get the the Blade Runner comes because of this. Like, I didn't understand that connection at all. Oh, because Sid Mead was also involved in there, and a lot of his like diaper punk stuff. 
supposedly came from I, that. I feel like that's a that's like that's like that's it's saying Frank Miller has a certain art, so his Daredevil is the same as his Dark Knight, right? You know, returns like thing. It's yeah. Can we also talk about the child abuse <laughs> that yeah. Chodorowsky put his son through? Oh, like, I think we but, lost Steven. between El Topo oh. and then for two years, seven days a week. 365 days I have to learn all of these things and I have to be put through these trials because the only way to act a hero is to become a hero. And like, Mm-mm. it just, it, it reeks of child abuse. <laughs> well, the, the grown-up Brontus, which by the way, that's the first sign that this child was going to be abused. His name is Brontus. <laughs> um, I mean, I would have, definitely called this kid brontosaurus or something growing up if i knew him do you think this kid actually went to school i don't think that he went to any regular school he was homeschooled by his crazy father probably yeah um yeah uh, i was mentioning i think prior to the podcast that uh one of the last things i remember seeing about uh brontis uh after this documentary was that he was doing softcore porn Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> um, then we realized, oh, wait, he was also in uh, Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Him too, no. The Crimes yeah. of Grindelwald. Yeah, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And I was like, yeah. okay, so he still works. He still does things. But in this documentary, I had the distinct impression that he really resented his father. Well, he calls him Alejandro instead yeah. of father. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, I don't know. That yeah. might be a European thing, and I just don't know about it. But, yeah. It was kind of this weird, like, I respect you, but I hate you. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I get that you had a lot of vision and a lot of power, but also you're fucked up. Well, <laughs> could you imagine getting to your teenage years and you're already saddled with the name Brontus, but then you also, there's a movie out there of you being naked the whole time as a child. <laughs> like, that's going to be, you're probably going to resent your father for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, it was. And it, and, and, and Yodorowsky was clearly totally fine. He knew exactly what he was doing to his son. And he gave no shit. He straight up says, I was willing to kill myself for this movie. Like I, I was willing to sacrifice my son. I was like, willing to sacrifice my son. And I'm like, well, that's what makes you crazy, dude. Like, I don't know. It's just, I like some avant-garde stuff. Like, but this guy, I don't like people that do things for the sake of shock. Yeah, just to be shocking, and that's what he does. That's why he says that line about what he did to the book to make this film that I don't <laughs> even want to repeat. But he uh, said the same thing about El Topo and yeah. the actress that was in it, because apparently there's a rape scene in that movie, and he straight up said in an interview that he did actually rape her. And later on, he said, "Oh, I just said that for shock value, so I could get more people in." But then he kind of says, "But the, I don't know. I just..." He says things for the sake of shock value, and I just—I don't like people to do that to further their art. Just oh, this will shock them, therefore it's good. I just like it's the same reason why, like even on normal things, I don't like The Walking Dead because it does things just for the sake of shocking its audience, just for the sake of pissing off its audience, and that makes it seem like it's great. But I don't know. Like I did like the artist. I like the art. I just, there was something very off-putting about Yodorowsky. Yeah. I just, and I do understand that with avant-garde, you do have to be kind of crazy in order to do some of these things, but but there's I don't know. There's, I don't like highly egotistical people either, yeah. so it's just, he hit me off wrong. I, I do think the art and the fact that it did inspire so many other things and get these artists really rolling, I think, 
is great and wonderful, but I just didn't like Jodorowsky as a person, unfortunately. And I tried, I tried to look up articles defending him and all this stuff, <laughs> and I'm just still... So you for trying to be unbiased, but no, I think your your initial instinct is probably correct. He has a an unhealthy messiah complex. I mean, even in El Topo, one of his he says my famous line, "I am God," you know, mm-hmm. and he plays this badass gunslinger. Like he definitely is uh, doing some kind of wish fulfillment. Um, and like, I, while I could never defend him as a person, um, like I've said this before other times, like some like. The entertainment industry is filled with a lot of people who are less than savory. Yeah. But they output some really interesting things. And sometimes we just kind of have to look the other way. It's like sometimes we don't want to admit to ourselves that our nice shoes or our designer clothes were made by children in sweatshops. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things we kind of have to like accept. There, um, yeah, there are some yeah. things that the public conscious is- really can't handle. And, and yeah. I get that. For me, it was a matter of I like the the upset about the fact that this movie didn't get made to me is unfounded because I think the Hollywood executives were correct I, oh, in yeah. their in their assessment I you know for all of the awful you know they're money grabbers they have no vision I don't think they were wrong I I think their assessment of the director and the fact that this was going to go over budget it was going to go mm-hmm. over time and it wasn't going to draw huge crowds, I think is accurate. Because while avant-garde and surrealism does hold a draw for a group, and the people who like it really like it, it's very, it's, it's very polarizing. You either yeah. love it or you hate it. You know, most everybody can appreciate romanticism art. Like, they're, you know, it's some people's favorite, some people don't like it as much, but it's not particularly off-putting. Avant-garde is very off-putting unless you love it. And I think this would have that same kind of feel. There would be the core group that loved it, who drank the Kool-Aid, who were in on this on this changing humanity, and everybody else would just be completely, I don't want to watch, like, I can't sit through it. I get up from the theater kind of thing. Yeah. I think is is pretty accurate. And I just, yeah, I always have a problem with somebody who's, I am the Messiah, and anything. <laughs> yeah, the other the other director that was talking a lot in the in the documentary, Richard Stanley, uh, mm-hmm. I'd never heard of before. And looking him up, like I, I like his his comments. He was the one that making the comments of like, well, these are you know accountants and lawyers and stuff, and they shouldn't be involved in in the the in art. art. And so, well, this is also show business. Mm-hmm. Like they, they know that they need to make money back. So. But you look at some of his stuff, like they kept it was it kept saying that like he was the director of Hardware. I never even heard of the movie. It came mm-hmm. from nineteen ninety. He recently directed, wrote, and directed a Color Color Out of Space, which is the Nick Ooh. Cage movie, the one that John's been really wanting to watch for a while. Oh yes, I'm so watching that. But he also wrote the Island of Doc Moreau, the one with uh, uh, Marlon Brando and uh, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, thank you. Yeah. So yeah, that's well, a terrible to movie. that point though i want to interject there because the island of dr moreau is kind of famous for being a shit show as far as the production went down um if he was the writer i mean like you know max landis talks about this in an interview at what point is like you know how much responsibility can you really put on the screenplay when like there's actors with egos and directors that's fair. That can do 
Yeah, that's very. I, I mean, a lot of that happened in this movie. Like Marlon Brando straight up refused to read the script. Yep. and only wanted his lines fed through a earpiece. Yep. And yeah. there's a famous story where supposedly it picked up like a police radio one time because it was using like an open band, and so he started saying lines relating to like a police chase in pursuit or something, and everybody was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> um, now, I did want to mention real quick before we get too far onto that, because those are all really good points. But I did want to say that one of my, the biggest missed opportunities, besides all of the art that would have been fantastic, Foss was an incredible designer. Mm-hmm. How awesome would it have been to have Pink Floyd score like yes. a space opera soundtrack? But were they going to do the whole score? They no. were going to do the one no, planet. Only the Leto part. Yeah. That's... They were in charge. Like each planet was going to have. A different sound score. A different sound, but he only had two bands, and it was Pink Floyd and Magma. Magma. Yeah. Magma. Which, if you've um, never heard Magma, they're like... Uh, so Pink Floyd, if you associate it with like some positive, feel-good vibes, Magma would be like, okay, opposite. you just took acid, and it took a turn for the worst. <laughs> well, see, yeah. as, see, since Geiger thought it was as if the heavens had opened up, I'm not so keen <laughs> yeah. on it, to be quite honest. That, you know what? That's fitting, though. It makes sense that Geeker would like that. Yeah. One. Plus, like, why would you? You're, you're gonna you're gonna have Mick Jagger in as one of the Harkonnens, and you're not gonna have the Rolling Stones be some of the music in the in the movie. Like, I mean, that's a completely different type of music, though. That makes sense. Yeah, they're a bit too popular. Not popular, but they're pop music. Yeah. Yeah, they're pop rock. Yeah, they're rock, they're yeah. rock, but they're pop. Yeah. I just yeah. I have a hard time believing that Mick Jagger like saw Jodorowsky across the room and just <laughs> you know yeah, walked yeah, as if he was well, parting the sea and just I, said yes. Like really, I have story, no, I have zero. I would believe that because Mick Jagger at the time would have been high as hell. Like, just, <laughs> I but believe fair. it. I mean, fair. you want to talk? Drugs talking. You want to talk about this cast though? The the one that they 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 said that they everybody had locked down. For like we where I said it, Salvador Dali was going to be in the movie for a total of three minutes, maybe five minutes, you know, max. At a hundred thousand dollars per minute of screen time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, what's his? Uh, Orson, Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. Yeah. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Carradine. Uh, yeah. Who? Carradine. Oh, Carradine. Yeah, Carradine is going to play. Uh, yeah. Leto, right? Leto. Yeah. Uh, Salvador Dali's muse was going to play the princess. Yeah. Which she looked very skeptical. I feel like Salvador Dali's muse was probably my favorite because she's definitely that person that's around these crazy types, but it's the logical one. And so she knew. She knew. That none of this was going to happen. She knew none of this shit was going to happen. Well, because she's around a bunch of sociopaths. Just look at that story. That they had with each other, Dali and Jodorowsky. It was very kind of Ocean's Eleven where they're talking in code to each other almost. <laughs> like they're sizing each other up all the time. Okay. It was a game. Was cool. It was all a game. Are you talking to... Surreal- surrealists love their games. That well, was yeah. Those lines the in the stupid clock story. Like <laughs> Picasso and I, we go to the beach and every time we go to the beach, we find a clock in the sand. Now, do you find a clock in the sand? And like Jodorowsky goes on this whole thing is like well if I say I find a clock in the sand then I'm too rich and and they won't respect me but if I if I say I never see a clock in the sand then uh then I don't have any money and I'm worthless and it's just like what are you doing I'm sitting there like what does it mean to have a clock in the sand (laughs) and who finds clocks in sand I don't understand (laughs) this has never happened to me 
That was his answer was actually genius because he's actually kind of one upping him, and that's all it was. It was just trying to one up each other with some like faux philosophical crap. But by him saying, "No, I've never found any, but I've lost several," is that you're and, finding all my clocks? Yes, and I was like, "That's actually really good. That's a great comeback to that little game that they're playing." So it's like, "Oh, they're evenly matched." It was a sparring session of fucking egos, avant-garde seventies uh, fucking snaps at each other. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would have been like, I think it's in Ocean's Twelve. One of the characters gets to somebody that's speaking in metaphor, and yes. so all that character does is just. Speak the lyrics of a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> <laughs> like, Probably. I have a traveler both time and space. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that would have been. <laughs> like, that's just... what it reminded me of. Yeah, yes, no, but they I called mean, it a lost in translation from what I remember. Not gonna lie, if they could figure out how to get that cast, and if they could figure out how to get that cast to work with each other, it would have been, yes, very. I mean, you would have had, you had a lot of talent in that. It would have been Zardoz. It would have been Zard. <laughs> it would have been Zardoz or the 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 apple. Like it would have been the yeah. apple. Like that's no. Uh, who wants to watch that? Like, <laughs> no. And this is the reason why I'm glad it didn't get made. Because mm-hmm. as great as the vision was, and as crazy as all these uh, characters were going to be trying to work with each other, this movie would have fallen apart or it would pale to the intent. Like, there's no way you could have made that movie at that time. I mean, Star Wars, that Gary Kurtz, the producer of Star Wars, even said a few years later, you know, how much they struggled just to put that on screen. Yeah. And, like, you know, it, even then it was still pretty subdued, even though it broke ground with special effects. and Yeah, the special uh, you know, effects they would have wanted for this movie would yeah. never, they, they didn't exist then. Like, yeah. uh, other than the, the beginning part of 2001, A Space Odyssey, like, I don't know how you would have made some of this other stuff like that, that you wanted was, to do. That was the other thing is you kept talking that about 2001 golden, A Space Odyssey. Oh, sorry, yeah. Jessica. Well, that, that one golden building with the waterfalls coming down in like crescent shapes, that apparently was buildable. It was very... I just remember that the person that designed it saying, I, I built it to be like, it, it can be built. And I was like, that can be built. <laughs> it would have been a miniature. Yeah, it would have been miniatures. it would stand up to like today's high def. I watched uh, Logan's Run. I think I talked about this before. You did. I watched Logan's Run on Blu-ray not too long ago. And when you see those shots of, like, the city, those big, you know, pan shots, it looks like a model. I mean, it looks like a toy. It's so, like, it's (laughs) like it doesn't belong there. And, uh, yeah, like, there's no way you could have done this. It just doesn't work. I think... Go ahead, Steven. Two things I would say to that one are that, like, Look at like the the map paintings in Star Wars mm-hmm. when they did like the the scenes for the actual the bay inside of um, some yeah. of like the Empire ships when you first see Darth Vader actually come onto the ship to go meet up with the Emperor uh, with the Emperor mm-hmm. a, a massive section of that is a map painting and yeah. it's glorious if you see that in like super crazy HD stuff on a massive screen it still holds up uh, mm-hmm. and then the other one for that is. I think they might have been able to do this. It still would have been bad, but they could achieve their vision in animation. Like, look at like the classic Lord of the Rings animation. Yeah, but that's like, like that's what seventy eight when that Lord of the Rings comes out. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. I mean, you would have had more animation closer to the Jetsons. Like that's what animation was in 
early 70s. No, no, Russia did amazing animation back in like yeah. the 30s and 40s. You yes, just it, never see it. I was going to say, but we weren't allowed to access it and we still weren't accessing it in the 70s either. <sighs> Yeah. No, but I'm saying, like, like there there are people who did amazing animation. French animation, for example, they had glorious animation. Yeah, but it would have been what you could have done for this. It wouldn't look the same for this. Like, this is outer space stuff. Like, this sci-fi, hard sci-fi stuff, it wouldn't have... I don't think it would have translated from French animation. I I, I just think, like, if you look around at the stuff for other animation at the same time, like, let's see, um... Jodorowsky would have never accepted animation. That's also true. Oh, he's open to it now. No, well, yeah, now, now that he wants his stuff out, he's, he's he's making comic books from his storyboards. I mean, like, yeah, like don't get me wrong, like it would have taken a lot. But if someone had come to him with this opportunity, like after having the other failure still happen, I think that there's a strong chance of it having gone through. I mean, it's, like. You you have plenty of other things from the same as the same time period that have like serious animation. Again, it is still like mid to late seventies and anything, but I I I think it would have been possible. Um, before that, they had that weird ass version of Lord of the Rings that I believe was like a Russian one or whatever, where they animated oh, over or Bank and Russ, Bank and Russ, not not not, not Rankin Bass, oh. or Bass or whatever. Not, not not them. Like no, there's there's this old. Um, they shot it, it. It's like Tron, the way that they did it. They like painted the armor onto the people oh. in the final version of the stuff, and it's heavily processed. Feels weird as shit, and one hundred percent would have been Yodorowsky's kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he turned away Turnbull. Like he's the, the, his criteria for who is going to be a part of it. They just had to be spiritual all in. warriors. Well, they, yeah, they but just had to be that, all in. That's because that but that guy was they, technical. They had to think that he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. They, they had to I, buy I into his cult. Given the respect, they had to buy into his cult. I mean, yeah, I think. And God it, forbid they're eating while yeah. like, people are busy. I was like, Pink Floyd is busy. Like this could have been their first meal of the day. And nope. I'm sorry, I am not going to stop eating a burger because you're talking to put, me. I don't care who you are. Put down like, your Big Mac. I'm talking Big about Mac something that's changing humanity. Within five minutes, like, or else it's be like, horrible. <laughs> Did for him to have told that story the way that he did, he's like so I think they were like like finishing up the mixing for you know their most well received and popular yeah. album of all time. Finished. Yeah. And he's like, and then I come in and they're like not paying attention to me. That part was like, you have to know now that you should reframe that story, right? <laughs> nope. Yeah. I nope. mean, let's let's he just get feel like he needs to because he's in the right. Yeah. <laughs> because he's he's the messiah. He's changing the world. If, if these stupid Hollywood people who only care about money would get out of his way, he would be the messiah of science fiction. Well, let's just get to the, today. to the end of the end of the documentary when he his sons, you know, drag him to go see David Lynch's uh, Dune. And he's, like that part he, a lot. he's super down about the going to see it the whole time. He's like, because someone else is making my vision. And then he says 10 minutes into the movie, he's happy because this is an awful film. <laughs> Like, I mean, he well, admits that that's not a good feeling to have, but that's what he felt, and he was being honest. But yeah, you're right. That was like, wow, dude. Well, even even for that one though, David Lynch is very much that dude's like spiritual warrior, bro. Yeah. Um, like like they're of the same mind. Yeah. I cannot watch anything David Lynch. Neither can I. Uh, it's dude, rough. Lost Highway is good though. I love that. I movie. I need to watch Lost Highway. I haven't seen that one, but his other stuff is just like, uh, no, thank you. I think it's his best. I hate Mulholland Drive. Mulholland like Drive is what? dumb. Twin Peaks is dumb. <laughs> Twin Peaks is awful. Yes, thank you. Why do people like it so much? Because it every, was... Every person in the world. 
Because it, it was the 80s and people needed something that was so they could feel like they were smarter. Wasn't, wasn't it the 90s? Twin Peaks, twi- Twin Peaks might have been the early 90s. I don't know. Okay. But yeah, it's doo-doo. And then it came back and everyone talked about the second cut. I hate it so much. The one I was thinking of was uh, Ralph Bakshi. Uh, his Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, which they talk about in the documentary, right? Do they? Oh, yeah. No, that one was done using rotoscoping. So they actually mm-hmm. filmed them doing the action and then just painted over it. Yeah, like you said. it's. Uh, mm-hmm. They did a lot you know, of picture animation that way. This this isn't even the right one. They, it still directed me to another one. I'm looking for an entirely different one and I'm so mad. Oh, okay. Google fails me. <laughs> it's about animation. Uh, they talk about some of his work that he did with Mobius after the movie fell apart. One of them was The Inkle. And uh, I sent you, Stephen, last time we did a podcast, a link to a trailer for test animation of that book. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what you thought about it, if you got a chance to see it. No, I like it. Like, consistently, like, Mobius's touch on things makes it worthwhile. Regardless of any plot points or anything like that, I like the visuals. Um, there was also the other one, Mega... They, they mentioned another one that was another big work that he was involved in. Um, I don't remember what it's called right now, but that one is an influential one for artists as well. Even if not a great story. <laughs> now, Voss was probably my favorite. I loved his ship designs because they were so not what you imagine spaceships to be. I think yeah. up until that point, most spaceships were still coming off of the atomic age or the space age where they basically just look like bullets or missiles. Mm-hmm. So these really unusual outer space ship designs were really to me, really refreshing. I love the one that's on the cover of the documentary with these two large like hull bays on the front. It's such like it's asymmetrical. I would even say it's painted gaudy as hell, but it's also beautiful because of its monstrosity. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's an artist now, uh, you probably know about this guy, Stephen. Um, I believe he's an engineer by trade, but he also does art. His name is, is um, John Harris. No, Eric Goose or Juice. Hmm. Uh, he, you may have seen him pop up on different internet things where he takes random found objects like a potato peeler or a Xbox oh, controller yeah. and turns them into spaceships. Yeah, they did like the Gillette Razor and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And the ship designs very much remind me of like the work of uh, Mobius and Voss uh, where it's just that... I think what really draws me, it's just the creativity of everyone that was involved. Even Jodorowsky, as weird and avant-garde as he may be, all of these people were people with some genuine creativity with them. I mean, Geiger, mm-hmm. of course, you know, for all of his weird psychosexual stuff that he does. <laughs> it's still interesting. It's still creative. You know, it might not be something you like. But yeah, like all of these things involved, I was like, man, like just to have been just like, involved in that whole undertaking would have probably been like for a lot of these people it was even though it fell apart was an interesting time in their lives because they all just pulled their talent together Mm -hmm. and at least made this book that you know was interesting at the time yeah sorry i would say that like i could see some comparison to walt disney and yodorowsky like Yodorowsky definitely is very much avant-garde, whereas Walt Disney is not. But Walt Disney was that type of person where he wasn't necessarily super creative, like he wasn't an artist or anything, but he could bring out the best within a creative person. And he could push them to their 
limits and push them and keep them going higher and higher within their art. So like I could see that comparison between them. And I did think that I was watching it. I was like, he's kind of sort of reminds me of Walt Disney who had collected a bunch of his creative friends and sort of, Hey, you build cars. How about you build Abraham Lincoln standing up? Like that's, that was Walt Disney. The thing is, is the difference between Walt Disney and Jodorowsky is, is that while both egomaniacs, Walt Disney kept it hidden enough or in check enough to get his product created. Because yeah, even well, even if you are product made, yeah. yeah, even if you are a genius, you don't get to do this stuff alone. Like nobody nobody creates in a vacuum. You have to have yeah. funding, supplies, patrons. So mm-hmm. you have to be able to keep yourself in check enough to get and other buy in. Another difference between them is Walt Disney had Roy, too, his brother that would keep him in check and logical mm-hmm. would be like, his brother's like, we don't have the money. Like, can you, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the money. Can you not, like, can you please go and make these people happy in Club 33 so we can get the funding for this? And Walt <laughs> would be like, okay. I'm, let me turn my mustache. <laughs> yeah. Also, Coincidentally, Roy was also the person that started the archive that they talk about in the uh, the prop yeah. culture documentaries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it definitely sounds like Roy was the more sensible one. Out of the <laughs> well, just needed. I think he really. It's just like if you let somebody like that just not have somebody else going. Uh, hey, wait, come here. Like, <laughs> slow down. See, slow that's the problem when you let a child have too much self esteem. They grow up into a Jodorowsky. <laughs> Well, I don't, Knock I don't, that down. Hammer him down. Yeah. The other thing is, like, he didn't have, I mean, he wasn't a child with self-esteem. He was a child who grew up in an abusive home. Like, like I said, I've read a lot about him. So his father was abusive to, like, it like it said literally on his Wikipedia page that Yodorowsky was the result of his father raping his mother. So, like. Oh, no wonder he's got all those opinions. Theme of his now. Yeah. yeah. So, like, and Walt Disney was also abused as a child, too, but, like, no, there, yeah. there, there's some things that I'm glad we are past in society, in yes. a lot of ways. Talking about, it's not to say everything is fixed, but yeah, I, because of, like, the interconnectedness of, like, the internet and so many different things, mm-hmm. uh, things get placed a little bit, a little better. Um, yeah. And, like, if someone's crazy, you know when they're crazy because they have a whole string of tweets for the past, <laughs> like, week all happening at 2 a.m. And you see that some people don't lift those people up. Uh, I, w- I was curious. Maybe. We, we just saw a whole documentary about this version of the thing. Like, there's the new version coming with Denny Villeneuve, who is still, by and large, referred to as a person who's kind of like an auteur kind of person. Um, like, his work is like maybe a little bit off from being like necessarily like a blockbuster kind of success, but he is still a little, like he's doing things in his own way. Have you guys seen the promo images for the new movie? Yes. No. Yes. I haven't yet. No. I I was wondering uh, for those of you guys who have, like how do you feel about the visuals of that compared to everything else that we have for Dune in Jodorowsky and then in David Lynch's? Also, feel free to look at those things if you guys want, guys. I mean, the the images that have been released so far, like I like I, I like the actors that are in it. I like the the armor that you see, um, especially since I, I I do not care for the visuals from David Lynch's uh, Dune, and mm-hmm. I don't think I would have cared for the visuals that you would saw in in Yodorowsky's Dune because like you saw that whole leather clad like 
gimp outfit that the one guy was wearing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it it seems like we're going a little bit more contemporary in Very. the aesthetic of this one. So I'm kind of more for it. But like once again, the story of Dune does not talk to me. Like it doesn't interest me in in, in the least bit. So mm-hmm. I'll ha- it it will see. We'll see. For you, John. Um, I, well, I don't know how I feel because, I mean, I've seen David Lynch's Dune and, you know, how they have the, the practicality of the, the suits and uh, costumes that they have in that. Um, watching this documentary again and looking back at some of those costumes that they had originally planned, you had one character that looks like a cross between a geisha and a clown mm-hmm. uh, in the designs. And you had one character, which I think was the one Mick Jagger was supposed to play. That looks like a cross-dressing Lilu from The Fifth Element, mm-hmm. uh, like a diamond-studded codpiece. Which would have made sense because my you were six-year-old happened to walk in on me during that scene. <laughs> he looked very confused. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, are we going to have to have the talk now?" <laughs> and um, with the, these newer designs, I like the practicality of them. Um, mm. I'm just, I don't know, like I'm torn because I want a good movie and I want things that make sense in universe. Uh, at the same time, I think there's still a part of me that kind of wants that kind of out there design also. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're going to, although I think the visuals are going to be good, I think the designs of things are going to be just kind of okay. Well, Stephen, you, you read a bit of Dune, right? Is mm-hmm. that, like, what is, what do they wear in Dune? Like... Is it they, more like Yodorowsky is saying like those crazy outfits? That are I don't think it's. It? I don't think it's the Yodorowsky one. I think it's the stuff we saw in the David Lynch one. That's the way that I kind of choose to interpret the way they talk about the visuals. Um, so I think David Lynch was a little more correct on that one. Um, how you choose to interpret them exactly is up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Yodorowsky's was definitely very specific. Okay. Like people were basically getting made to make whatever art they wanted and make it as crazy as they wanted. So yeah. they were going to do it. Um, the new, the new look though, I don't like as much. It feels very Mass Effect, Star Trek Beyond. The, the armor reminded yeah. me of Mass Effect. And yeah, you're going to be getting a lot like of the audience for that. Specific. Huh? I said, I feel like you're going to get a lot of the audience because of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the only thing I would say is Star Trek Beyond didn't go over great. That's true. I think that's because of the story, though. I mean, Star Trek Beyond was good. It just didn't really... I mean, and I think out of all three, it's probably the best one. The only thing I really like about Into Darkness, which admittedly was a really badass scene, was the fight against the the uh, Avenger ship while they're in warp. That was like the, uh, the showstopper. But other than that, I mean, really, Khan, again... <laughs> it's, it, it, a story has a lot to do with it. I mean, the story of Dune, um, it is both kind of simple and also really, really obtuse. So um, I guess I'm yeah. trying to figure out what is the story from the book that's Dune? Because Jodorowsky said that, you know, he did not stay true to the book. I've been getting information that David Lynch's wasn't true to the book. This new one's supposed to be closer to the book. Like, what is the storyline supposed to be? Does anybody know? Yeah, it's 
It's a lot. That's the problem. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a thing. Summarize. Like even yeah. videos on YouTube that try to make sense of just the first book <laughs> are like 30, 40 minutes. And yeah. like, you still, I mean, they're just glossing over. But Got I it. mean, basically it's like a really far extreme future environment. Um, space travel is a thing, but technology is kind of shunned. So like there's the, the main point of the planet Dune is that it's the, the only source in the universe or the galaxy, I guess, at this point uh, for the spice. Spice is like a mind expanding drug, essentially. Um, and it's necessary for space travel because um, because they don't use uh, navigational computers. They use mentats, um, I guess, like psychic mm-hmm. people that have really strong computational minds. But they need this drug in order to stay, like, to be able to perform the way they do. So essentially, Dune is like, um, okay, let me. Somebody I guess, called it, it. It's the Afghanistan of space. It's like okay. a barren wasteland. Let me. It's also highly important for its resource. Let me try and mm-hmm. narrow this down. Then, Lord of the Rings has a lot of stuff. There's there's a lot of story. There's a lot going on. The main plot line is you have a character who has come into a very powerful artifact and they must destroy the artifact. What is that kind of main pull through on this first movie? I think it's, you have a family that controls a resource. Another family yeah. wants to take over. Basically. That's what it is. You That's it. it. Okay. That could be it. Yeah. I don't, okay. I just don't think like in Lord of the Rings, there is a main through line that you can follow. And then you can do the main quest line of the video game and ignore the side quest in Lord of the Rings. I don't think you get to do that with Dune. Yeah. Because they it's so like, interweaved. Yeah. Okay. Basically, all of Dune is Tom Bombadil. <laughs> okay, okay. It's 40 Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for okay. anyone who does like this Not kind of like this book. visual... <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of book, man. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, for anyone who did like this Yodorowsky's Dune, um, like this whole story and everything, um, and you wanted something that had this kind of visual style, but you wanted to have a concise story still, um, while still being a weird story. There are two comics that I think nail it perfectly. Uh, one was a recent one called Little Bird, um, and another one is the actual comic adaptation of Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, the Miyazaki film. Oh, yeah. The comic is way more and the end of it is like super crazy dude nonsense um <laughs> but for little bird the whole thing it's it's really prescient like it's um there's a it's it's a war between basically the u.s and canada is like the last stronghold against american imperialism uh and american imper- american imperialism and patriotism has gotten like intertwined with uh christianity which we already see happening yeah um and it's it's crazy and that comic is so good and the visuals are weird as fuck john i want you to read it <laughs> hey i'm down that sounds really interesting it's it's crazy good man like i if, if you're interested like i'll buy you the digital copy of it just to get to talk to someone about it do it that'll be my trade-off for renting you the movie <laughs> you didn't even let me pay you <laughs> okay so last thoughts is that I really enjoyed the documentary. Uh, I don't want to see the movie, but I did enjoy the documentary because you got a lot of uh, people that were involved that are still around. Mm-hmm. And that's all I was saying. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. that's fair. It's, it's I'd a agree. Good documentary. I'll give you. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? Okay. So uh, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia GEM. GEM stands for Geek Elite Media. Uh, Jessica, where can people find you online? 
I'm on Twitter as JM Bailey writes. Uh, John. I am also on Twitter at Magic Bollocks. And do you find any clocks in the sand? (laughs) (laughs) Steven? Uh, You can find me across all social media as either Peppermint Gentleman or Peppermint Gent. And Elizabeth? You can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media. And our Facebook page is forward slash Geek Elite Media. Yep. Uh, Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.